tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Death by Drowning, Grandma's Grave, and CIA Secrets. I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your other co-host, Robert. And this is Reenacted, your best Unsolved Mysteries podcast ever. Best and only. Yes, yes. Uh, so, Crystal, right before we started uh, recording, yeah. you alluded yeah. to me that you had something that to talk about. Uh, you know what, Robbie? You know, I'm no Luddite. I appreciate all the... Uh, all the things that technology can bring to our lives. Okay. But one of the things that I hate uh, the most, possibly one of the most ill-conceived pieces of technology I've ever encountered, Mm -hmm. is the Apple TV remote. Okay. Tell me about the Apple TV remote. Um, The Apple TV remote is, uh, there's a lot of things wrong with it. Uh, please understand my problem is not with the Apple TV software or box itself, just with the remote that comes with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about, I want to say about four to five inches long and about an inch and a half wide. Okay. So it's, it's very, and it's, uh, you know, a couple of uh, millimeters th- thin. Yeah. So it's, a, it's very small. All right. Okay. Um, it also has a couple of buttons on it, but mostly it operates on a touchpad. Okay. Uh, now, can you think of anything that might be wrong with having a television remote operate on a touchpad the way that a cell phone does, but without any of the security of opening a cell phone? I'm assuming that there are constant issues with the tv being paused turned off volume being mess uh increased yeah increased yeah exiting the whatever show you're watching constant and if you think about how you live with a television remote right most of the time you're in you know it's uh, you're watching it on the couch you're watching it in bed the remote somewhere with you in the bed or on the couch. Mm-hmm. Uh, God forbid that you. Here's the thing: even if you brush past this touch screen, yeah, it'll fuck up whatever you're watching. And add to pet, add pets to this. Oh, you know, I, I'm I'm watching a show and all of a sudden it's being rewound or I'm I'm it's exiting <laughs> watching another show and it's only because like the dog has shifted onto the remote on the bed. So you have to have a constant awareness of all times where this remote is. Okay. Which is hard because it's small. Secondarily, because it's so small, it doesn't really hold well in your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, today I was watching Unsolved Mysteries, and I don't know what happened. I guess I touched some combination of things unconsciously, probably by just looking at it. Uh, that caused the focus of the screen because because you know all of our televisions now are wide screens, but Unsolved Mysteries was filmed uh, like with a three four ratio for regular CRT televisions. Um, usually, when I watch Unsolved Mysteries, there's two black bars on each side mm-hmm. of the screen. Is this your experience? Uh, I 
guess. Well, I mean, my experience watching Unsolved Mysteries consists of seeing it in the little window on YouTube <laughs> in the top, you know, on the top okay. left corner well, of YouTube. Uh, if anybody else is watching this on Prime on a modern television, they usually have two black bars on each side. Well, I looked at the remote wrong, and all of a sudden it zoomed in to be full screen. <laughs> Which means the ratios are all wrong, and now I can't see what anybody's name is. Anyways, I swear to you, I didn't touch anything. Yeah. Not intentionally. I, I, the Apple TV remote is, is some of the worst technology I've ever seen for home use. Well, like you say, the, the problem is that remotes are something by their very nature that gets left on the bed, is on the couch, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it 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 has a lot of just interaction with its environment. Absolutely, and and the way they designed the remote is very similar to the, to how an iPhone works with the touchpad. Um, but it, on an iPhone, it makes sense because you have to lock and unlock the screen to open it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the glass that's used, there's not a lot of chance because the way the apple tv remote is not only is it a touchpad it's a pressure sensitive so it can also be used as a button okay the way like it would be on like a laptop right right here's the thing i like apple i like their products but with this remote they were like you know what we're gonna make uh, this as simple as possible put as few buttons on it make it look sleek uh, you know, applying all this design to it that has been so successful for an iPhone or something like that. But the thing is, <laughs> yeah, how you live and interact with a television remote is different than how you interact with a laptop or a cell phone. Precisely. And, and there's no protective covering over this. Uh, you know, it's, it just feels like Silicon people being so obsessed with their own <laughs> aesthetic <laughs> that they kind of refuse to consider that people might actually need to use this thing. <laughs> yeah. Let me, let me pose this question. Okay. Would it be less or more annoying if your remote had a lock on it? I just want it to be all buttons. Buttons. Yeah. P- yeah. That you have to apply enough pressure to, you know, I have a feel to get it to operate. You know how like, in the original series, Star Trek, the all the controls are just buttons and stuff. Mm-hmm. And for a while, that kind of seemed it would be an anachronism because we're we're having mm-hmm. all this new technology now with you know the mm-hmm. the touch and display and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I think what your what your frustrations with the Apple remote suggest is that perhaps at some point things will swing back and people will be just so frustrated with with, with, with touch screens and everything that they'll just <laughs> want buttons. Just give me a button that I can just, I can deliberately I, press it. There will be no accident happening. I, you know, but the, here's the thing. Like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to paint this with a broad brush because I like having a touch. Uh, it took me a long time to get used to, but I like now having a touch screen on my phone. And I don't feel like I'm accidentally pressing a lot of things on my phone, except for maybe like the wrong letter. Yeah. Um, and a typo and a text or something. And then that's mostly my fault, not the phones. So I don't feel frustrated. It's just it's just the remote, which is which is essentially 
a piece of furniture that you're interacting <laughs> yeah. with instead of a piece of technology. Um, yeah, they just, I think they got a little too into their own Apple zone of like how they think about designing things and they didn't really think about how a, a television remote is, is very different than even an iPad. They're really Apple zoning it up. They're really Apple zoning. <laughs> I don't know. I get, I get really frustrated because sometimes things are um, over-designed and I think a lot of what uh, Silicon Valley does and their rush to uh, move fast and break things is they end up breaking things that actually worked pretty well. And have served us for a long time and didn't really need to be changed. For example, a remote with all buttons. <laughs> what other appliances do you think they'll put the touch screen on? Oh, they put it on everything. It's not a fucking refrigerator now. It is? Yeah, you can get you can get basically a refrigerator with like a, a touch screen. Um I don't know what you're doing with that. I guess making grocery lists and controlling for temperature. I guess. I mean can't think of it i i that seems like a, a tremendous amount of wasted effort to control your temperature with a touch screen when you all mm -hmm. you really need to do is just turn that little dial up to uh, yeah up to what do you like to have it on six i don't know i'm not in charge of the fridge <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I don't know. I'm I, gonna, you know, I think it's also. Oh, go no, ahead. No, I'm just gonna. Say, I was just saying. I, I'm gonna next time I'm I'm down there. I'm gonna have to make a mental note to check on what your refrigerator settings are. Yeah, I know that I'm always complaining about it. <laughs> but I don't really know that what it's actively set on right now. Um, oh. <laughs> you know, it's also I'll. I'll I'm you know I'm in the, I'm going to be in the market for a new car soon and and something has happened since the last time I got a new car which my car is a 2005 uh, Toyota Rav4 um, which still runs like a dream mm -hmm. um, but it'll it someday it's going to break down and I want to be prepared for what car I'm going to buy and one of the things I'm looking for and uh, is a car that still has buttons oh yeah because a lot of the uh temperature and stereo control now has moved to some kind of touch screen in the dash yeah uh, right i mean there's a lot of problems with that I don't want, robbie no like i don't like it either because when i'm driving i don't want to take my eyes off the road and so much of how i control my car is by touch right mm -hmm. with buttons i know where the buttons are i know what i know what the ac button feels like as opposed to the volume button, you, you know, it's like, I also have a steer, uh, steering wheel control for the, um, stereo. Mm -hmm. So I can just do it by touch that way. It's the same thing with my cruise control. All of that is, you know, levers and buttons. And, um, I, yeah, I don't know. Some of these cars have just gone too far with the touch screen because if you have to like start opening menus of like, if the same thing screen controls your stereo as your AC unit, you know, <laughs> man, it sure is hot in here. I better turn up the volume on my CD. To <laughs> <laughs> and then you've crashed your car because you took your eyes off the road trying to figure that shit out. So, yeah. um, anyway, I'm not saying all technology bad. I'm just saying that some things that did not need improving upon have been sort of over-designed. Understood. Understood. And I'm every time I have to use the Apple remote at this point, I'm just... I'm like, 
losing my mind <laughs> in anger. And Dave went all in on uh, the Apple ecosystem here. Oh boy, really? Like yeah. Apple stuff everywhere? Uh, do you want to talk about uh, Season 3, Episode 14 of Unsolved Mysteries? Not really, but I'll do it anyway. Let's talk about Death by Drowning, which is the name of the segment, but not necessarily what happened. So Stack is back in the night gallery. I, I noticed that too. We got an, we had a night gallery style introduction. You know, it's interesting. The, this night gallery stuff started and we're on season three. So mm-hmm. I think, who knows, maybe Dave has, has a point. Maybe like hmm. you get past season two and there's, you know, you're already running into shark jumping territory, but do go on. Do you feel like the night gallery is sh- shark jumping territory? I guess not, but it's a, it's a strange, like, is this going to keep going on? We'll yeah. see. Like, yeah. So, okay. Sorry. So Debbie Wolf was a, uh, a woman in her twenties. She was a nurse, um, in Cumberland County, Georgia, North Carolina. Sure. Okay. Obviously, I didn't take notes on all the names here, but we're going to try and get the facts or straight. Or places. Uh, <laughs> or places. Anyways. So, Debbie doesn't show up to work for a couple hours, which, you know, she's a responsible young woman. She would have called in if she was going to be a couple minutes late, so her mother says. Mm-hmm. Um, so, this happens, I don't know, it sounds like... Christmas time because by five days later from when they were think she goes missing it's New Year's. I believe I believe you are correct. So this is right. This is like the day after Christmas or something like that. Anyway, so Debbie's mom goes with a family friend to her place to check out what's going on, and they find Debbie's uh, nurse uniform like crumpled up on the floor of the kitchen of her house. Her dogs are running around outside, but they haven't been fed. I like how, because um, in the, the narration, they describe how she was very neat and meticulous, and all the stuff oh. that they're coming across is, is an indication of that, that, that something's mm-hmm. wrong, because these are things she would never do. But I like, the yeah. thing is, is when they mention that she's neat and meticulous and whatnot, that... Like they mention it as they're looking into the car, and in the car, th- there are four boxes that are neatly stacked in the seat. Mm-hmm. And I saw that I was like, "Well, that doesn't indicate anything's amiss." Uh, but I, I guess the the real thing going on with the car was all the crushed beer cans on the the ground outside, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it was like a brand she didn't drink. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, but more that the dogs hadn't been fed and that her uniforms crumpled up in the kitchen. Uh, also, this is the, as a woman, this is the strangest thing. They find her purse stuffed under her bed. You don't stuff your purse underneath your bed? Nope. Interesting. So, here's what happens. Uh, they contact the sheriff's uh, department. Her mom does. Sheriff's department says we can't, you know, say she's missing until seventy-two hours have gone by. Oh, also, I forgot the weird voicemail. Yes, yes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back to this. 
So um, there was a man on Debbie's answering machine that called a couple hours before her mom gets over. The machine is still on, Mora. (laughs) And uh, with the uh, Debbie's mom had only known that she was missing from work for a couple hours. Mm -hmm. But with the the man on the machine is saying, "Hey, Debbie, we're worried about you. You haven't come into work for a couple of days." Yeah. But it had only been a few hours since at least Debbie's mom was alerted. Yeah, at first, like, I was a little confused when I they talked about that. Well, mm-hmm. not so much confused. I was under a misconception because in my mind, what I was thinking was um, that, I, you know, was like, I, I thought it was indicating. Never mind. This would have been stupid to talk about. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, uh, so that was a strange voicemail message. Well, so, you know, 72 hours goes by, um, at this point, uh, Debbie's mom and the family friends have sort of searched the property. Um, there's a big pond that's behind her house. She seems to live out in the country somewhere. Mm-hmm. She, she lives really remote. It seems like. Yeah. More remote than I would be comfortable living alone as a single woman. Yeah. But she did have the dogs. A lot, a lot of good it did, so, did her. A lot, a lot of good it did. Um, okay, so finally the sheriff's office gets involved. Um, they search around. They don't they don't find any signs of foul play or anything like that. Uh, the, you know, so Debbie's mom is like, well, since you guys aren't going to go look in the lake uh, or the pond, do you mind if I get my own divers out here? And I'm, like, I don't know how Debbie's mom like knows all these people. But uh, she, uh, she does. Yeah. She's got a lot of resources at her disposal. Anyway, so they get some some divers out there who were familiar with like search and rescue missions. Mm-hmm. And anyway, uh, they end up finding Debbie's body in the reenactment. Whoever is doing the underwater diving does a really good job of like of, of as soon as he stumbles across the her foot. And collides into it of like drawing back mm-hmm. real quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- I believe the the diver who was in the reenactment was the actual diver. Oh, I'm sh- that they interviewed. Yeah, yeah, I I would think so. Um, the other thing that he found that was interesting leading up to where he found Debbie's body was uh, in the silt and mud of the pond. There were two sets of footprints. Mm-hmm. Okay. The other thing that he says that he found is that he was not able to see her entire body because half of it was stuffed in what he calls a burn barrel. And apparently this is some kind of metal barrel that you burn stuff. Rural in. Folks, yeah. Rural folks used to burn yard waste, stuff like in that. In Dayton, when you get a burn permit, it explicitly says mm-hmm. you're not allowed to use a burn barrel. Why? Do you know? Uh, I guess I, I guess I'm not entirely sure what the rationale is on that is okay <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's just there's a lot of things uh amiss in this situation at least according to um not the cops so the cops uh they interview the captain or the sheriff or whatever jack watts i think it is of cumberland county and um he fully cops to, like, not having looked in the lake. He's like, well, you know, her friends were out there, and they said they didn't, like, 
Yeah, we didn't go out. Like, it was just like, what? And what, what police work station, like, what police is like, well, you know, these uh, amateurs already went over it, so we're just not going to bother. Right. With this. Uh, how fucking lazy. Anyways. So basically, what, and I don't even know, the thing is, they don't even mention if they do an autopsy on her body. We don't even know if she drowned, if she died from drowning. Like, obviously, she was in the water. Well, yeah, that's, there seemed to be some indication that, you know, perhaps what this was is she was murdered and her body was dragged out into the water in order to yeah. uh, to conceal it. Because I think they talk about how some of the physical things you see with someone who drowns were not present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the so the family and friends believe that she was killed before being put in the lake. Um, so Debbie's mom is like, "Well, what?" A, the, she asks the sheriff, "Like, can you guys come recover this barrel? Because they pull her body out, but the barrel's still left in the lake." And they're like, "Uh, yeah, I guess it's late, and we'll get it tomorrow." <laughs> that was literally the attitude they had. Yeah, and um. So the sheriffs come back the next day to pull it out of, uh, pull the barrel out of the lake and they can't find anything. Um, the sheriff's response was that the, what the divers must have seen is the jacket that was, uh, that Debbie had been wearing when she fell in the lake was billowing out to the point where it looked like she was encased in like a dark barrel. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> But as Debbie's mom points out, there is a space next to Debbie's house where you could clearly see where the her burn barrel had been. There's a circle. There are leaves. I mean, this is the reenactment. Yeah. But it's like you would have known if something had been moved, right? Because there's leaves around it, the circle, well, and then it's bare. What I was interested in is because th- there's all those bullet holes in it. And I think they explicitly mentioned that she liked to actually use her burn barrel as for target practice, right? Oh, I didn't. I didn't pick didn't that catch up. Catch that? Cool. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um. Well, anyway, <laughs> so they don't find. They drag the lake. They don't find a barrel. Uh, as far as the sheriff's department is concerned, they think she was out there playing with her dogs, fell in this nominally shallow pond <laughs> in the ground. God. Yeah. And that's it. And her her mom is kind of left with what the fuck. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and then there's a bunch of stories about how Debbie had all these weirdo volunteers at the hospital, like trying to hit on. They're her. all interested in being with her, and, and I like how they're depicted in the reenactment. <laughs> like yeah. she'll leave the room, and the guy will like come to the the doorway yeah. and look around it in the most skeezy manner possible. Oh god, I mean, poor Debbie. Um. Yeah, so her mom, like, says, well, what about this guy? The sheriffs go to talk to the first guy, and he had an alibi for the time of death. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. Um, There's another guy that the mother knew about, was harassing Debbie at work, Um, and she thinks it's the guy who actually left the voicemail. Yeah. And... um, and then Debbie's, and then the sheriff, like, we cut back to the sheriff, and the sheriff's like, well, we talked to the guy, just like, nah, he didn't do it. <laughs> With no further explanation. Not, he had an alibi, or he was out of town, or whatever. Yeah. Cut back to Debbie's mom, and, and uh, she's like, him? 
Oh, that guy? Yeah. He left the state a couple of days after Debbie died. Ooh. And he was the one who left the, uh, not voicemail, the message on her machine, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, so so we think. Well, okay. Oh, okay. Now, did you know? Well, that's so Debbie's mom. Did thinks. you notice? Did you notice that in the re like when they show again her listening to the machine, it's a mm-hmm. different, it's a different circ- it's a different shot of her listening to the machine because in the first one she's just listening hmm. to it and like the brother or whatever comes in. In mm-hmm. the second one, they show her listening to it. And as the the message goes on and it gets creepier, she just shakes her head. And I at first I was wondering like, so are they are they depicting a situation where she goes back to the cabin to listen to the machine again to try to like figure out what's going on? And she that's when mm-hmm. she's like, no, it was that man. Hmm. Yeah. No. It could just be a continuity error with filming, maybe. That's well that's what I thought at first, but I'm kind of going on yeah. to the, the, the belief that like they're they're actually trying to depict two different two separate instances of her listening to that machine. Yeah, I mean that makes sense too. I I mean, what do you think here? Also we don't get an update, so <laughs> Right. So I guess I missed the part where that guy left the state. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. What there was that one other bit of evidence, uh, where like the clothes taken off her were too large for her. They were mm-hmm. like men's mm-hmm. size clothing, a couple mm-hmm. sizes that would have been too big, a bra that was mm-hmm. like three cup sizes larger than what she normally wore. Mm-hmm. It's uh so like and that's where it's kind of strange for me because it's like okay like. One 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 thing I was thinking is like maybe the killer took off his clothes and put them on her uh, after he mm. had killed her to uh, when he was disposing of the body, but then mm-hmm. there's there's that bra and I'm like well then where did that how did that come in and then I realized how ridiculous it would be for the killer to take off his clothes put it on her body and then leave there with only his mm. underwear on. I you know, <laughs> that would be ridiculous. Also, that what they point point out is that she's wearing men's size six shoes. Yeah. Um, but as the sheriff points out, there are photographs of Debbie wearing those exact same shoes. So those were known to be her shoes. I don't trust. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't trust the mother to know exactly what she wears or what's in her clothing. I don't. You know. Yeah, her mother. Her mother seemed to have a pretty like. A startlingly thorough grasp as to like, because she's talking, no, she's thought- talking like she walks into the house and she's like, no, those papers are in the wrong spot. That's, yeah. that's off. I mean, it's one thing to find the uniform, you know, on the floor of the kitchen. Right. That, that is kind of suspicious. But then like, she's just like other, you know, just like little things are just moved slightly. It's like Kathy Bates in uh, Misery. Yeah, I don't. I. I mean, I get to the. I get the point about having the purse under the bed. That's very strange. Yeah, and having the crumpled uniform in the kitchen. But I put. Like, I put my every every mother thinks they know what size clothes their kids wear. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> and what it sounds like to me is probably. I don't know about the uniform. I don't know about the uniform, but I don't know what went down. But it's possible that you know Debbie just came home from work and put some comfy raggedy ass clothes on. Yeah. But why would she have dumped her uniform in the kitchen? That's 
that especially your uniform like if you have to wear it again like you probably want to keep it not crumpled on the floor yeah i don't of of all the places i i disrobe and leave my clothes on the floor the the kitchen is the one room that i've never done that in what i am an originally thought when i heard when they were describing that voicemail or the sorry the answering machine message <laughs> yes um was that only someone involved with the crime would have said she's been missing for days when everybody else just knows she's unaccounted for for a couple of hours. Oh, yes, yes, that totally makes sense. If I were a police officer, that would be the first thing I would be tracking down. Mm -hmm. Who left that voicemail? What do they know? Yeah, you totally know that if Jack Ryan were there, that that's what he would hit up on immediately. Well, yeah, I'm not sure why a CIA agent would be <laughs> investigating this, but well, why why, why uh, was the CIA agent at, at at like a the crimes? Oh, because she was the secretary of the. Yeah. Okay. Are you so... okay? <laughs> yeah. So I definitely think she was murdered, <laughs> like for sure. Oh yeah, I, I, um, I'd say that's pretty indisputable. I think. Her her i think this is another once once again another case on unsolved mysteries where they want to call it an accident or a suicide and um probably not i th i think all a lot of evidence points to this was foul play maybe she was drugged the here's what could have happened you know they do part of the reenactment suggests that the second guy from volunteer from the hospital knew where she lived and was like taunting her and called her at her home that's sort of speculative that any of that interaction happened because they don't know. Yeah. But um, what the crushed beer cans outside by the car suggests to me, Debbie got home. She took off her uniform. Mm -hmm. Someone rolled up on her house after she got home, started drinking outside to get the nerve up to do something, mm -hmm. did whatever they were going to do in order to get her dead body from the house to the lake. It was probably the easier to roll it down in that burn barrel. Yeah. They dumped her in the pond. Um, and they do suggest this in the show later after the, it's known that the sheriffs are searching the pond, they come back and recover the barrel. Like they go get it themselves. Okay. In the middle of the night, because if no one's living out at that property, I don't think, I don't assume anybody was watching it. Yeah. You could have snuck in in the middle of the night. Yeah, I think so. And then the guy, and then whoever it is, leaves the state. Well, I think you got this case pretty well wrapped up, Crystal. Well, I mean, come on, cops. <laughs> How many crimes have we solved that the poli local police depicted on here haven't gotten around to? I mean, it's like it's like they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna go interview some dude and be like, well. That didn't go anywhere. How do you know? You took his word for it? Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> Crystal, I would like to think that when someone says they're telling the truth, that they are. <laughs> well, I mean, what did they shake hands afterwards? It's all good. Don't worry about it. Yeah. The old gentleman's agreement. The old gentleman's agreement. So I understand why you're hot on this case. But why uh -huh. are you hot about this next one? Oh, um, well, much like the uh, first segment or the first uh, 
story here on Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, this is also classified as an unexplained death. Yes. It's the same type of segment about someone who there are, uh, is a, there's actually a dead body. The second segment has a psychic. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Let's talk about it. Okay, so this takes us to 1910 in Wisconsin. Well, we don't really start in 1910, do we? Well, no, I, well, I guess it depends on what direction of time travel we're, we're doing with here. Uh, are we starting with a granddaughter? I think we should start with a granddaughter, because this is ostensibly a story about the granddaughter, isn't it? Yes, yes. All right. So, uh, what was her name? Geneva Fulcher? So, tell us about Geneva. She lives in Nebraska. And um, she operates a store. (laughs) (laughs) A gift shop. A gift shop. I'm assuming in the reenactment, because uh, Geneva is a critical part of it, uh, this is in fact her store that they filmed at. It's almost certain. It has to be. The store isn't just a gift shop, Robbie. No. It's gifts from Mexico (laughs) and, and macrame. And so when we go and see the interior of uh, the store, there's a lot of gifts from Mexico, little tchotchkes, things like that. And like a lot of like macrame hanging from the shop ceiling. Yes, yes, it is. Um, it is well, and what's interesting about all of that is it makes what happens with the person who comes in to make her uh, who's looking for something all the stranger to me. Yeah. Who's sitting around in South Sioux City, Nebraska, and they're like, you know what this town needs? And it's not getting gifts from Mexico and macrame. I got to fill that niche. It's up to me. (laughs) People make strange decisions on shops to open up, though, all the time, right? Yeah, it's and it's endlessly fascinating to me because it's it seems to me. Uh, and then who am I to speak to the needs of 1985 South Sioux City, Nebraska, and, and what the market is demanding there? Um, I mean, this is pre-Walmart, presumably, so yeah, you know, your gifts from Mexico got to come from somewhere. They're not coming from Walmart, right? Right, right. Uh, yeah, so, you know, I see these shops all the time, and they're obviously somebody's passion project. Mm-hmm. But they—it seems to me a lot of times they've just completely ignored the the market that they're in. Yeah, yeah. Or the demand for whatever it is they have to sell. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's why, like, I mean, well, I always feel bad when I'm somewhere and I see a closed-up shop, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, that's so sad, you know. It's mm-hmm. like just recently I was in in Reno, you know, where the um. The Toys R Us used to be. Um, yeah. And there was like, there was one store in that uh, strip that was a, uh, a uh, parent-teacher aid shop. Mm-hmm. And they'd been there for like three decades. Mm-hmm. i always been there since I, I remember. But like recently I was, I was, uh, Go, I was hanging out outside the closed down Toys R Us because mm. I'm a weirdo. I was just sort of like looking in and 
mm-hmm. you know, curious about like, did, are there any shelves left? Uh, what's still in there? And then mm-hmm. I was walking down to like where the uh, teacher aid store was and they were closed and they had this note in the, the door and they're like, had to close up after 30 years. Couldn't compete with Amazon.com. Sorry. It's like, oh, well, that's so why sad. Weren't they, but why weren't they selling their product on Amazon.com? You can have your own shop on Amazon and physically at the same time. Uh, I don't know. But, well, God, you know. But 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 yeah, but you. The but, point is taken, but. Well, but but you make the point that ultimately I was going to circle around to, mm-hmm. uh, which is. The thing is, is as sad as I feel about this stuff, ultimately, like, you know, whether it's that this particular case of, like, not using the Amazon shop Mm -hmm. to sell your stuff, or uh, these niche shops that don't don't take into account what people actually want or need, Mm -hmm. uh, one could say this is a circumstance where the free market is uh making the decisions that need to be made right well we're oh you know hold on a second we're assuming a lot of things here uh that no one in that no one in this town are you gonna tell me that people in this town want gifts from mexico I'm I'm looking at a screenshot here, Crystal, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of the stuff that's un, that's in the counter underneath the glass. Mm-hmm. Who wants any of this shit other than like a psych, a psychic woman who comes in looking for a Pegasus? Um. Well, then that brings us back, doesn't it? Because there seems to be a market, and that market is uh, uh, psychics. Yeah. Who would need a <laughs> right, right. Well, so, I don't, I, let's, I'm led to believe that shop is no longer open or operating. Gifts from Mexico and macrame. Wh- uh, I just wh- googled it. Wh- oh, okay. I was just about <laughs> to do the same. Okay. Um. Right. So, what Genevieve's in her shop. Uh, a woman walks in. And Genevieve says, you know, I don't get in her face. I just kind of let her wander around. That's what I let my customers do. Yeah. Uh, but this woman comes up to the counter and uh, says, y'all, y'all got a Pegasus? <laughs> <laughs> and Genevieve's like, does she have one? I can't remember. <laughs> um, you know, she has I- a lot of ceramic cats. God. Yeah. I don't think they actually depict any potential transaction on that regard. Cause they quickly mentioned how the woman starts say, saying something like you're looking for your grand, some, trying to find out something about your grandparent or something. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, Genevieve has what the, uh, her, her grandmother's what birth certificate and a picture of her or something. Uh, yeah. Marriage license, marriage license. Now I don't know. Just about happened- you, Robbie. But I don't leave the house without my grandparents' marriage license and a picture of my grandmother. Well, what I assumed was that they were framed up on the wall along with the business license, right? That's the three things you need to have if you have a... Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. And the first dollar that you made selling and the, gifts And the first Mexico. dollar you made, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. 
anyway, so the psychic's like, you're looking for your information about your grandmother, right? And uh, I, the whole conversation about the Pegasus is dropped, I guess. We'll never know. <laughs> if so, the, the, she came through on the Pegasus. Pegasus? Yeah. God. Um, so here we, we continue a long tale about how Genevieve's grandmother disappeared in 1910. Mm-hmm. She had been taken a choo-choo ride to some part of Missouri. And she there's a nice reenactment with some period clothing of her grandmother uh, saying goodbye to her husband and children. She says, goodbye, children. Because <laughs> she, apparently these kids don't have names. I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> well, I mean, when you have four or more kids, it's probably just more efficient to address them collectively mm. rather than individually, right? Calling bullshit, because in uh, Sound of Music, those Von Trapps get introduced one by one. Uh, and say goodnight one by one. So. Did you <laughs> anyway. Min- did you mention Sound of Music? Because I mentioned how the one person told me they're going to a live showing of it. Before. No, I didn't. I just thought about saying goodbye to children one by one. <laughs> it reminded <laughs> me of the Sound of Music. Um, anyway. Grandma gets on the choo-choo. Uh, never seen again. And Mm -hmm. the story that the family had kind of gone with to this point is that uh, Genevieve's grandfather had been abusive and um, her grandmother ran away to get out of that bad relationship. Yeah. Uh, Lo and behold, through the uh, mysteries of psychic powers, we (laughs) learn probably for some amount of money that Genevieve has now paid to this woman, but is not mentioned. Um, that something violent had happened to Genevieve's grandmother and that her grandfather knew about it. Right. Uh, We get another reenactment now with uh, Genevieve's presumed grandmother is being... There's some eyewitness account from some old legend. About, yeah. I I, I get real confused here. Who's saying what, but... Right, right. That yeah, like there, there's this legend about this train where the, this woman and a guy get get off of the train. Yeah. And then the man shows up at the train station alone and takes another train and and disappears. And eventually, a body is found near the tracks. Right, and railroad workers uh, bury the body. They take it upon themselves to bury the body. I think this is by Wells, Missouri. I think that's the town. That okay. the body is buried with the ostensibly sort of unmarked grave. It looks like Missouri. Um, and so Genevieve comes to believe that this legend is somehow connected with uh, uh, with her grandmother's disappearance. Mm-hmm. Cut to Pat Brophy, historian. I want to take a minute to talk about Pat's beard. We got to talk about it. There's no way to get around it. And I mean, both like figuratively, like we can't continue the podcast without mentioning Mm -hmm. it. And Mm -hmm. there's literally no way to get around it. Physically, you cannot. (laughs) It's it's as big and wide as that net that Q uses to uh, block the Enterprise. This guy is so far ahead of the hipster uh, grooming situation. I mean, he is so far out far in front of it so he's got a very neat haircut comb back but Mm -hmm. then this beard has been brushed out i mean 
his beard is to his face the way a peacock's tail is to a peacock. Yeah. As in it's attached to it? Or, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah As yeah. in it's very large and sort of ostentatious. Are, are you saying that this is definitely one screenshot that's going to have to going to have to to find its way onto the the yeah i yeah. i think it might <clears throat> anyway so cut to pat pat says you know i wish i wish genevieve he says this woman which i like a lot he doesn't mention her by name presumably he was never briefed right right they just they they came to him to ask him hey some woman thinks that her ancestor might be mm-hmm. blah 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 yeah and he's like well her ancestor disappeared in 1910. The the legend, this unidentified woman who was found murdered by the train tracks is from like 18, uh, like something like 22 years. 1878? 1888. That would be 1888, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it, it happened before, uh, before her, uh-huh. her grandmother you know, if they really wanted to go, if they really wanted to make this interesting, they could try mm-hmm. to, like, introduce some sort of claim of time travel. Mm-hmm. But they don't. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, uh, so it's probably not, it's probably not that, then. Yeah. Um, the other thing that the newspaper article says is that the body that was found was of a young woman less than 20 years of age. Mm-hmm. Um... At the time of the disappearance of Genevieve's grandmother, she would have been in her mid-30s. Plus, if you've shot out at least four kids and then, like, probably another two more that died in, in <laughs> infanthood, you're probably not... <laughs> you're probably going to look the worse for wear, right? <laughs> yes, that's horrible, and I laughed <laughs> silently to myself. <laughs> I could hear that silent laughing happening to yourself. Did you I, hear me putting my head in my hands <laughs> as well? Uh, I guess no. I, no. Suffice it to say, given the time differentials, this was not the same woman as yeah. Genevieve's grandmother. Yeah. So I don't really know what to make of this other than a curio shop owner has been swindled by a psychic. <laughs> So that's really so this again is more this case is more fraud than anything. Yeah. And I got pretty white hot about it again because they they gave this the, put this in the same category as the first segment unexplained death. And we don't really have we'd have no evidence that a death happened, right? It could Well, have... she died eventually probably of something else, but we don't know that she was murdered. <laughs> right, right. She 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 could could have died of old age after having escaped the abusive marriage. Uh-huh. Um yeah, I I think my my conjecture is because what what sort of what I the thing that struck stuck out to me the most in and uh, that's saying something about the segment. Mhm. Uh-huh is like the psychic toter like you're gonna get a thing of documents in the mail in a few weeks mm-hmm. and and they arrive and mm-hmm. i'm like okay so what happened precisely and the only conclusion i could come to was the psychic woman somehow she she looked up this the the the, the owner of the local <laughs> Of the local Mexican gifts from Mexico shop, mm-hmm. uh, found some, you know, did some, 
she found some some family documents of hers or, or mm-hmm. stuff related to her family and cooked up this scheme where she was going to go in and tell her about mm-hmm. her, her grandmother and da, da 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 and then like she was the one who then mailed the documents a couple of weeks later and you know she just wrote on the return address whatever these documents came from does that does that seem to make sense i think i think so what you're suggesting is the psychic did what would be called a hot reading of someone, which is researching them beforehand and then coming in with all these facts. I think it's probably a cold reading. Oh, okay. You're and I think cold. Yeah, and I think probably Genevieve volunteered some information that she thought was innocuous and wouldn't have been revealing, but to someone who's trying to con her would be. Yeah. And I don't. Th- I think you're probably right though that that psychic or whomever probably after talking to Genevieve went and dug up some documents and then mailed them. Right, because the, the the two things are completely unrelated. Genevieve's grandmother and this uh, uh, cold case from eighteen seventy seven or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. It it just they they this, these things are clearly not connected. Yeah. And all of that summed up by uh, Pat Brophy's <laughs> <laughs> assessment of the situation. Um. Yeah, and I I don't know. I'm just mad because. The first segment, we have a dead body. We have a strong inclination that a crime has been committed. The second segment is all... The narrative is driven by a psychic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who probably, yeah. and I'm sure Genevieve didn't confidence. this, probably she gave up some money to. Oh, totally. So, uh, have you ever known a psychic who has not taken money? I get it one way or another. Well, actually, I do know one. Hmm. But that's a story for another time. Yeah, okay. Well, I think we solved this case. All right. Case closed. Who wants to talk about the Cold War? Are we talking about the Cold War? Is that what this next last segment is about? Uh, I can understand your confusion because I certainly had trouble following what this next segment was. What, uh, what are the facts? We have a man... Who's a pilot? Uh, okay, we got we got we we, we we well we have two men. We got Alexander Rourke, mm-hmm. and he was involved in the anti Castro operations, right? Mm-hmm. And then Joffrey, but, he, but did he did he work for the CIA? Did he work for the military, or was he just doing kind his of, own thing? It almost it seemed get, to me like he was he was like doing his own. Yeah, rogue. it kind of. It kind of gave activities. It kind of gave the impression that he was just he took it upon himself to overthrow Fidel Castro, which I I certainly appreciate his enthusiasm for yeah. for that. Um, but yeah, I, I, it because like it does seem like, and I I I'm going to imagine that there's just plenty of people in Florida who were just sort of engaged in their own personal anti-Castro activities that weren't. Uh, you know, uh, done in conjunction with the CIA. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like there's that. There's that. Epi- Did you ever watch King of the Hill? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know the the neighbor Khan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they're from uh, Laos, right? And mm-hmm. there was there's some episode where uh, because there, there there was a um, hostile, oppressive government in power. Uh, in this, at least in the storyline of the show, 
And some the the local Laotian community in Arlen, Texas, was organizing to do their own Bay of Pigs <laughs> type okay. operation. Yeah, and the the whole gag was, uh, the, you know, the father of of the Khan family really really did not want to be involved with it, but because of social pressure, <laughs> was being forced to. Um, yeah. And so I think, I think you're right. I think this was a, a sort of, you know, personal, uh, anti-Castro mission that these guys were running. Yeah. I, I actually, I think they have some blurb about the government telling them don't. Don't. Yes. (laughs) Uh, so this guy Sullivan, the, uh, the pilot, Mm -hmm. he was in the air force, then he wasn't. Mm hmm. And then he took off one day in the 60s and in a plane and then didn't come home. Yeah. That's 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 the the essence of the like mm-hmm. him and Alex got a hold of a B25 bomber. Mhm. Again, I'm very confused. Right. How well, they came about that? Was there some kind of auction where you could just buy those or like what was going on? I I think so. I mean, I know that um, if if you're a longtime listener of the show, you know that I'm involved with Civil War reenactments. And through that, I know a few people who do like World War II reenactments. Mm -hmm. And there are people who own like World War II tanks and World Mm -hmm. War II planes, and they they bring them out to these things. Mm Um, so I, I mean, I'm not sure when the B-25 stopped being used. Well, I'm, I'm not any sort of airplane expert here, but I think what probably added to my confusion as to what the hell was going on with the story is when, so Sullivan takes off from Connecticut in one plane. He lands in Fort Lauderdale, Florida to meet up with this O'Rourke guy to do something. We don't know. Yeah. what it is we assume it has to do with cuba um there's another guy who is a part of this rogue operation that doesn't get on the plane that somehow ends up involved in uh watergate in the 70s yes i don't know how unsolved mysteries doesn't explain it. I, they kind of just drop the name like you know who this is you remember mm-hmm. all that like mm-hmm. even in in 1990 it was a little fuzzy you could you could let us know <laughs> Who this other guy is and how he's involved in Watergate. But anyway. Um, And so then they take off. And and what is... Because they're talking about the B-52 bomber. I assume that's what they're flying. But what they show in the reenactment, presumably because they couldn't get a hold of a B-52 bomber, is some kind of Cessna. Yeah. It's a modern plane. Yes. It's a modern plane from 1990. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of strange time travel going on in this episode, Crystal. And it made it really hard to follow also because they're going back and forth in time mm-hmm. when they're telling the story. Um, so they disappear. The plane, I, I don't know. This is so confusing, but I guess a couple years later they run into some, somebody runs into another guy, very similar to this POW thing from Vietnam war saying, That's Oh, totally. I was in prison with uh Rorke and, uh, and Sullivan. Yeah. Sullivan. 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 And, uh, uh, R- and Rourke, you mean O'Rourke? No, no, Rourke, Rourke. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then this guy who runs into the other guys like, oh, Rourke was the pilot. And the guy who had been in Cuban prison, I guess, was like, no, 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 no. The other guy was the pilot. Julio. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. So we got that little tidbit that like, because, yeah, it was really strange. They described how uh, these guys that the the time they disappeared, um, it was it was really strange because they were they were scheduled to land in. What what was it? Uh, they were going to which airport was dude, it? Dude, I really don't know. Yeah, it, I just know they got to Fort Lauderdale and then they disappeared. Right, right. I they, don't know what happened because <laughs> I could not follow this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, well, but then like uh, at one point they took a trip. They were t- returning to Fort Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. They couldn't land there, mm-hmm. so they landed like a, f- a few hours away. And then they left from there. Uh, they were scheduled to land in Honduras, mm-hmm. but then, like two hours l- later, they sched- they they radioed and that they said they were rerouting to Panama. Uh-huh. So I'm assuming my conjecture is like maybe like they said they're going to Honduras, but then they rerouted because they they were actually going to meet someone covertly in Panama. Yeah. But then, like they they they. They called in again, like they re- said they're rerouting to Belize, but then they mm-hmm. end up like refueling in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And that was also the last- Nicar- Nicaragua is somehow involved in this, too. Yeah. Uh, somebody was talking about it. Yeah. And so and then they disappear from there. But mm-hmm. I guess what we from the accounts that we're hearing, we're, we're led to believe that maybe some they they, they went to Cuba and ended up mm-hmm. getting captured. Mm hmm. And then they bring up this Enrique Garcia guy mm-hmm. who was, I guess, he was someone who was posing as an anti-Castro person, but may have been a double agent for Castro. Sure. And I guess, like, the whole thing is, like, I guess, I guess the the, the conclusion we're supposed to draw is that he infiltrated their group and somehow convinced them to fly to Cuba mm-hmm. to be captured. Uh, mm-hmm. by by the Cuban officials. So, mm. And it's funny when they start talking about how this, about what's, you know, how he could have been a, a suspicious character in this regards. In the reenactment, the guy who's portraying him is sitting in the backseat and he's, you know, looking shiftedly from left to right. Did you notice <laughs> that? Um, well, all of this concludes with Sullivan's daughter, who was seven years old at the time he disappeared, um, requests a a bunch of documents from the CIA, FBI, everybody she can get it from, Department of Defense. Mm-hmm. She gets uh, like 900 pages back concerning her father. Yeah. Uh, there was something like 400 pages from the CIA alone. A lot of it had been redacted. Yeah. So something was going on here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, well, we get an update at the end of this, which is that I think it's the Veterans Affairs is the yeah the is, VA is the only organization that's acknowledged that they're missing? Yeah. Why would the VA acknowledge it though if at this point in time Sullivan hadn't been in the military in a while? Who knows, you know, who knows how the VA operates? <laughs> well, here's what I think. I, okay. I have no idea. I literally have no idea what happened to this guy or if it had anything to do with Cuba. I think this is a very interesting film. <laughs> that should be made okay with a coherent timeline 
okay. and more explanation because Unsolved Mysteries is all over the place. I can't even follow what's going on. Mm-hmm. I think this is a really complicated story that they have tacked on to in like the last 10 minute segment here. Yeah. yeah. This is, there's obviously like some meat to this and we don't have any of it except for them flying around refueling in different countries. Right. Precisely. So, Robbie. Yeah. Do you have anything else to say about this? About this segment? Uh-huh. Uh, no, I think you summed it up nicely there. Okay. Um, do you, do you want to do the thing we normally do towards the end here? Where- if you're a fan of the show, please give us a five-star review on iTunes. Please. And then that uh, sounds kind of desperate and sweaty, but I wouldn't mind if you did that. (laughs) Yeah. As well. And and then go ahead. And if you follow us on Twitter at reenacted pod, send us an email at reenacted pod at gmail.com. Go to reenacted podcast fans on Facebook. Patreon.com slash reenacted pod. That's our Patreon. We're going to be putting up, um, and keep listening to the show. Yeah, we're going to be putting up some uh, new content there, hopefully pretty soon. So if you're already in it, you know what we're talking about. But it's a you know we got other mini sods and things going on over there. Um, yes. And sometimes Robbie sends you stuff. People can attest to that. It's true. Yes. Robbie, do you want to do the thing? For every mystery, there is someone somewhere knows the truth. Perhaps that someone's watching. Perhaps it's you.